0: Now, before we get started, don't forget to visit optimizeyourself.me podcast so you can subscribe, leave a review, and so you can also download your unique customized podcast playlist where I'm going to send you the five best expert interviews from our archives to help you achieve your specific goals. So on that note, without further ado, let's get right to today's guest. If you are a keyboard monkey like me, who loves to escape the dark room on weekends and get dirty in the real world, i.e. you consider yourself a weekend warrior, then you are going to love today's episode as much as I do because this interview blends two of my favorite passions, creative work and obstacle course racing. My guest today is Nick Montgomery, who's a film editor who likes to run around in the mud and lift heavy things uphill for fun. He maintains that his lifestyle balance of pushing creative limits in storytelling while also pushing physical limits in the outdoors and in the gym has been the key to avoiding total burnout at both, and if there's anything that I know something about, it's experiencing burnout. Having lived most of his life as a world-class couch potato, Nick has experimented with many fitness, nutritional, and workplace lifestyle trends to find ones that have worked for him. And while there is no right lifestyle choice for everybody, he believes that you can realistically achieve many of your goals in life without having one interfere with the other as long as you're honest and mindful about the path that you have to take. Nick and I dive deep down the rabbit hole into what it truly takes to prioritize regular exercise and balance it with a demanding day job, and we also chat about the power of mapping out your priorities in living life with intention. And no doubt that that is way more than you bargain for when listening to two nerds talk about running through the mud, am I right? Now, as a special bonus for this episode, if you're a weekend warrior and you're getting ready for your first obstacle course race, whether it's a Spartan race or a Tough Mudder or something else, I've put together an OCD-worthy checklist of everything that you need to pack to get ready for your race. You can find this list at optimizeyourself.me Spartan Checklist. And now, without further ado, my interview with Nick Montgomery. I'm here today with Nick Montgomery, who is a motion picture film editor, as well as a guy who likes to run around in the mud and lift heavy So, that having been said, I have a feeling that you and I might have a thing or two in common that we can talk about today. So, Nick, it is a pleasure to finally, finally get you on my show.
1: Well, it is a pleasure and honor to be on your show, sir. And honestly, uh, you're a little to blame for my tendency to run around in the mud and lift heavy Because I do believe when I was first getting exposed to the whole OCR thing, uh, you were—I kept hearing it a little bit from you—and you know, you were a fellow editor and were also involved in OCR, did a couple of OCRs, and were pretty inclined to uh, pay attention to your fitness. And so, yeah you're to blame.
0: Well, I love hearing that. That inspires me. I'm I'm glad to hear that uh, my madness uh, got somebody else into this. Um, For anybody that's listening that's like, I already don't know what you're talking about. um, OCR stands for obstacle course racing. And when I first started my program several years ago, when it was still fitness and post, which was fitness for film editors, I used to really talk about and go deep into my hobby and love of doing obstacle course racing, which includes things like Spartan races, Tough Mudder's, Rugged Maniacs. And there's like 15 other spinoff companies, most of which I've never really done their events, but they're everywhere. So if you just put in OCR, obstacle course racing, any type of search like that, you're going to get a whole lowdown on all this stuff. But the, the cool thing is that you've taken it way, way further than I have. I'm still very much just a weekend warrior. I do two or three a year. I'm never really in good enough shape for them. They always exhaust me afterwards. And then I see all the things that you're doing on social media I'm like, okay, this guy is just embarrassing me at this point. So I, you, you're doing you know, amazing, amazing stuff with it. And I definitely want to talk about the whole process, why you're into that. But before we really go deep into the weeds, I kind of want to summarize where I'm hoping to go today for people that are listening, because it's very easy to alienate people that are creatives that sit in front of a computer and have them think, well, I could never do this. And this just isn't for me. So if today's episode just doesn't make sense. I'm not going to listen to it. I heard that a lot. From people when I first started my program when I would do presentations, and they would say, I loved all the stuff where you talked about health and you know, editing and moving more and standing up. But then I saw pictures of you in like the Spartan race or doing whatever. I'm like, no, 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 that's not for me. And you kind of alienated me. And it made me realize that I was just approaching it the wrong way because they thought it was all about, well, I'm gonna be a muscle head and I'm gonna get strong and I'm gonna lift tires and climb ropes. But there's so much more to it as far as how it just helps your general well-being, your mental health, um, your ability to withstand stress. So I guess what today's conversation is going to be about is helping creatives like us who are locked in front of our computers for the vast majority of our waking hours to learn how this is beneficial. But then more importantly, how the heck do you actually balance a really crazy job editing and training? So. I guess where I want to start after that whole preamble is just help people understand a little bit more about what does your regular day look like? What do you do for a living? What's your schedule like? And let's just get a picture of the typical day. Then we can start diving in a little bit deeper.
1: Ooh, well, a typical day for me, I'm a freelancer. So occasionally I'm on contract for a specific client or uh, other than that, I'm just uh, hunting for the next job doing you know edits for commercials or films kind of daily or weekly so it does vary quite a bit but nowadays i work a longer longer contract job in toronto uh which you know just give you an idea of a commute it's you know an hour and a half train there and back each day for me and working at uh, an office with other editors other creative types all day i wake up at five o'clock so i go to hit the gym sneak in a gym session really really quickly Hop on the train, get to work for nine, work till about five, hop on the train, come home. I have just enough time to eat dinner, you know, an hour, you know, for myself pretty much to either, you know, watch some Netflix or to get caught up on some other work or read a book uh, or do some yoga or something like that. And then, Back to bed and that's what I do Monday to Friday, pretty much. My weekends are reserved for me for traveling, for going to races, or going to see family and friends. But uh, that's pretty much, you know, the the really simplified uh, schedule of my life.
0: Well, the one piece that I don't hear in there, I think, is the one thing
1: that you and I don't have in common. I didn't hear the word kids. No. So I think that's I'll say for lack of a better word, a benefit for me that does make it a little bit simpler. Uh, because yes kids will I, I imagine and you can you know speak to this uh, takes an enormous amount of your time not not just of your daily time but also like your mental energy and you know it's uh, a factor that also tends to take your schedule and just say well let's change all this around and you will know, turn it on its head so you have to like change on the fly as you go so no uh, I do live just by myself but uh you know part of my Part of my daily, weekly routine is still trying to do manage to fit in time, social time with family, with friends, which I think everybody also, you know, struggles to fit in as well. With the hope that someday, maybe, you know, in a year or two, the pitter patter of children will also, you know, flood the halls around here. So I don't know. <laughs>
0: Well, and I I certainly am not making any judgment at all. I just wanted to make sure that in going through your routine, for those that are listening that don't have kids, they can see, oh, wow, he works a full-time job, but he's still able to train, get out. Like There's a lot of of good balance there. But for people that do have kids, I didn't want them thinking, well, wait a second, is he doing all this and he has kids or he doesn't have kids? Because there's no way that I could do it because I do have kids. And for those that have been listening to the show for a long time, they know that I have two young kids as well. But my training regimen is much more compact because I don't have as much free hours in the day, so I have to be a lot more efficient with the hours that I do have. Um, And we can dive a little bit more into that in a bit, like actually talking about OCR training, becoming a weekend warrior. But what I'm really interested in, and I wasn't planning on talking about this at all, um, but I just had this impression that you were a work-at-home freelancer that had a lot of control of your own schedule. So it's really interesting to hear that you're now dealing with this long commute during the day and you're working in a corporate environment. So I would love to know What are some of the things that have come up that you've been like, whoa, this completely changes my training schedule or just changes my? mental attitude during the day. Having seen both of them fairly recently, I'd love to know some of the the contrast that you've experienced.
1: Well, this year was kind of interesting for that because, yeah, for the first half of this year of 2017, I was, yeah, I was more working at home uh, all the time and uh, never had to go into an office. Uh, so my office was home and and my schedule was immensely more flexible because literally you dictate your entire day uh, as it will unfold, uh, as long as you're responsible with you know, when the work gets done and you know, when you fulfill your duties, uh, the rest of the time is yours. So, yeah, the first half of this year, it was very, very focused on more on training. I'll say uh, it was less on work and more on racing because last year I went to world championships, wanted to return this year. And that goes down in October. And so I had the year to build up towards this. And so for six months I trained hard and, you know, uh, my schedule was uh, all over the place, uh, I didn't have very much structure to it at all. I just kind of, you know, I went to the gym when I felt like it, I ate when I felt like it, and I did work when I felt like it, and it all just sort of uh, fit together. I still did the responsible things like wake up in the morning, map out my day, say, you know, from 10 to 12, I'll do this, from 12 to 2, I'll do that. But it was open to more flexibility just because you know I didn't have a job to go to I didn't have a family and that sort of thing then halfway through and this is what I was going to talk about in a little bit was you know having a plan but know, being prepared to throw that plan out the window about halfway through the year, I got offered a job in Toronto, which kind of changed everything, flipped everything around because that meant, okay, you're now not working at home. You're doing the daily commute, working in an office, you're doing all these things that you've never really had to do for a job before. And that means your time is going to be reduced down to an itty little bit part of the day. And it made the struggle for, you know, fitting in all the things that I wanted to fit in a lot harder. So I had to make some compromises. So, But in doing that, actually, I would say I learned a lot more uh, about how to effectively build your day and how to, how to really make the most of your day and how to fit into things that really matter to you rather than having all the time in the world. So because I, you know, I'm pretty sure you would also say like having the strains in your life of job, of the podcast, of your family, of your friends, of everything, as you learn to deal with all the different aspects of your life, of your day, you kind of get better at each one. Does that make sense?
0: Oh, Not only does it make sense, but very much um, have I heard from other people that when they have these constraints, it makes them much more focused on prioritizing certain things. Because if you have your entire day to yourself, it's like, I can do anything. So I, what, what should I do? Um, I'm just going to watch TV because I can't figure out what I should be doing with my time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But when you have these constraints and you're like, all right, I have all of these things that I want to do today, this week, this month, but I have a finite amount of time to do it, that means that I have to be very intentional about what I am doing when so I can achieve these things around this other job giant 800 pound gorilla which is my job. And just as as soon as you said mapping out my day, a smile came on my face and anybody that knows me is like, "Oh god, he's going to be talking about this forever because I love this kind of stuff." Because <laughs> it's so important to really think about, what am I actually going to be doing with my time? How can I be intentional with it? Because the worst thing that you can possibly do is wake up in the morning and say, what am I going to do today? Mm -hmm. By the time you wake up, you should already have a pretty good idea of what your day looks like. And if it's going to be two o'clock, three o'clock, four o'clock, and you're already kind of lower energy and you're, you know, brain foggy and things are slowing down, that's the worst time to be thinking, what should I be doing right now? When you're at your best, which and this is going to be different for anybody during their given circadian rhythm during the day, when you're at your best, that's when you want to think about what should I be doing during the day. At four o'clock, when I know I'm going to have brain fog, what are the things that I could accomplish when I'm super, super low energy? What are the things that I should be doing in the morning if that's my time of day to be really creative? But when you have all of the time in the world, you don't really have to pay attention to your energy rhythms and when you're creative and when you're not creative and when you should go to sleep or not go to sleep or when should I write or when should I edit? Because you can kind of do anything whenever. So it sounds like you certainly had this, uh, this experience of, wait, I now have a much more limited amount of time. So it's time to get organized
1: yeah and and you you kind of alluded to this a little bit it, it, it's kind of like adding more purpose to your day more purpose to your time which was a big part of what was missing for me earlier on which I know actually shouldn't have been because if I, you know you said it if anyone's been listening to you for years then you know uh, as you uh, tend to talk about or geek out, Big time about things like you know the Trello system and mapping out your day and being really efficient with your time. You know, I can't claim to be a fan of yours and say, well, I you know haven't uh, I don't I don't use Trello or I don't map out my day. So I did think I thought I had a good uh, handle on stuff like that before, but it was a new job that uh, that really kind of pumped it into overdrive and really, really minimize my day down to, you know, a couple of hours. And so I said, okay, well, if I need to, if I want to hang on to these things that really matter to me, if I want to hang on to time with friends, if I want to hang on to my fitness goals, then I really, really need to learn how to be extremely efficient with how I map out my day and with what little time I have remaining. Otherwise, you know, I may have to let that go. And I think that a lot of people, a lot of people who, who say like, well, I don't have time for this. I don't have time for that. You know, I don't have time to wake up in the morning and go to the gym or I don't have time to meal prep uh, for the week. I almost some people. Yes, I will say you, you know, maybe the, the strains of life really, really do play on you and uh, you don't have time for that. But for the most majority of people out there, that's kind of bull- <laughs> You You have to learn to say like, well, you have to make time for it rather than I don't have time. A lot of people just say, are really saying, I don't make time for this. A lot of people have a lot of time in the day that they have free to do things that they want to do, like go to the gym, like spend time with their kids, but there are already flaws with how they map out their day, with how they allot their time. So there are a lot of things that people could be doing to make their day much more efficient, to free up time, to be able to do the things that they've always dreamt of doing.
0: Yeah. I could not agree with that more. And I'm, I'm glad that you said that the whole thing about, you know, not having time being bull first. So I didn't have to do it. So I can say it in a much more eloquent way um, and not be <laughs> hammered for saying that. But I, I do agree with you hundred percent. I've recently been working with people one-on-one doing coaching and mentorship and career coaching and stuff. And somebody had said, well, I really, really want to do this, but I, you know, I can't find the time to do it. And I said, We're going to stop right there. You don't find time, you prioritize it. If you're saying, I just can't find the time to do this, or I just don't have the time to do that, yes. Like you said, there are a select few people, especially those that have newborns and full-time jobs. Guess what? You just don't have the time to do anything. I know, I was there. Like, you genuinely don't have the time. But for most people, you're just not prioritizing the time. And that requires setting aside a block where you can say, I'm not going to do anything right now. I'm going to plan. I'm going to prioritize and I'm going to say, what it, like you said, what, what is my purpose or what is my intention? What are, what are the goals that I have that I want to achieve this day, this week, or this month? And when am I actually going to be able to do that? So if you really want to see somebody that is intentional with their time or their priorities that says, I've got this together, all they need to do, show me their calendar. If I see on your calendar that you have blocks of time for doing this thing, doing that thing, or doing a review process, whatever it is, that's somebody that's prioritized their time. But if you live in reaction mode and you're thinking, oh, I have all this stuff to get done, and I'm – well, I've got some free time in an hour, so when that hour comes, then I'll see if I can figure out what I should be doing, and then you waste the first part of that hour – thinking about what you should be doing and then when you can't figure it out the rest of that hour is spent scanning facebook twitter and instagram
1: yeah and try to be truthful i guess uh, is what i'm hearing from you is like be truthful and honest with how you are already spending your time shining a spotlight on how you are already spending your time to be able to find those parts of the day that should be you know better planned out so because i know that you know with your trello system it's pretty efficient at you know, mapping out your days duties and stuff like that so that you know exactly when you're going to do this when you're going to do that there are no down. there's is no downtime there's no time for you to just you know okay i'm going to go browse through youtube or you know i'm going to go fiddle around on my phone and you know go through facebook for a little bit there is no downtime like that because you know that you know there are always there's always something that you should be doing you know exactly what you what you should be doing so that stuff gets done
0: Mat. So you and I, my friend, one edit station at a time are going to change the world. I like it. That's a utopian vision I can get on board with. If you're a creative professional looking for a simple and affordable way to stay active, energetic, and focused while spending long hours at your height adjustable workstation, I can't stress enough how important it is to have the right mat underneath you, which is why I continue to share the Topo Mat as my number one product recommendation. To learn more about the Topo Mat and purchase yours, visit optimizeyourself.me slash Topo. That's T-O-P-O. Well, see, and it's funny because there I actually disagree with you some. And the reason is that... When I tell people about my Trello system or whatever task management system I'm putting together at the time, they're like, oh my God, well, that it, I just I want to be creative and I just want to flow when I feel it. I can't be stuck to a schedule. And if I want to scan Facebook and I feel like doing it, I should do it. And it scares people to think, oh, well, Zach never has downtime. And that's totally not true. However, I'm intentional with my downtime. So I'm not sitting there thinking, well, it's 10 o'clock in the morning and I've got tons of energy, but I don't really know what I should be doing And so I'm just going to go on Facebook or YouTube. I know what I should be doing creatively at 10 o'clock because usually for me from about, I don't know, seven in the morning until about 12 or one. I'm super hyper focused, creative and productive. And if I'm just working from home, that's when I'm doing a lot of writing or building products. And if I'm editing, that's when I'm doing writing at home before I go to work. Then I go to work and I do my editing. But then I know I'm going to be a little bit lower energy. So I'm just organizing my day contextually thinking if I have really low energy tasks, I can do those in the afternoon. Or if I just want to spend half an hour reading a Facebook news feed, fine. Like I'm totally cool with that because I'm intentional about the fact that I want to do nothing right now. So that's my choice. But what that alleviates is the guilt. The guilt of me thinking, I know I should be doing something right now, but I would rather just be wasting time as opposed to, you know what, I've done the things that I want to do. I'm just going to waste time right now. And it's the difference between, well, I really know I shouldn't be eating this piece of birthday cake, but I'm going to eat it and I'm going to feel guilty and feel horrible afterwards and I'm going to hate myself or – you had that birthday cake, and you're like, man, that was delicious. I enjoyed it. I don't feel bad at all. Mm-hmm. And there, there's a big difference there.
1: Yeah, and actually, sorry, I should have clarified that uh, a little bit. I guess, yeah, there is a difference between the downtime where you see as time being wasted, where if you look back on it at the time of day, you know, at the end of the day, and you think, oh, I shouldn't have, why did I spend an hour YouTubing or doing this or doing that? that? That's not what I should have been doing. Whereas, like, there was a time when actually, like, going to the gym for me, in my mind, mentally, I was feeling guilty because, like, oh, I should be working. Why am I not working? and you know this is not work this is not furthering my career uh, this is another goal of mine but you know to become more fit but you know I feel guilty why why is that? And you know until you change your look at like well no that is going to the gym is part of your scheduled intended downtime. You do that so that you can get away from the desk that you can you know unwind you can focus on a different task that you can focus on something that you enjoy so that you can go back to work with a fresh mind so you can be more creative, you've got more juice to get you through the day, you're happier, you're going to be, you know, brimming with positivity, spreading that positivity to others. You know, there's more of, yeah, there is more intention behind that versus time just spent twiddling your thumbs that you, you didn't schedule and you look back on it later and think, well, that wasn't a good use of my time.
0: Well, speaking of use of your time, let's talk a little bit about your exact process. Like I, whether or not you use Trello, trust me, I won't be judgmental, don't worry. Um, but I am curious now that you have this very limited amount of time, and you have what sounds like a really, really fun commute for three hours a day sitting in a train. Um, I'm wondering what is your daily routine and process for prioritizing your time and your tasks.
1: Well, if I don't do it the night before, the morning of when I walk, when I wake up, I need to be able to sit down at the breakfast table and map out my day. And I've actually got a pen and paper system that I've I found that is pretty efficient for me. Uh, as long as I have it written down, that is the most important thing to me. So whether it's you know in an app or pen and paper or whatever, if you're good enough at just mentally blocking out time, going through the process of saying, okay, so here's how the day is going to go from this hour to this hour. I'm going to work on this, going to work on that. Usually in about one to two hour blocks, two hours max, because I find like after two hours, that's when you know, either I really need like a long-term break or, you know, that I've, I've done whatever damage I can. I need to move on to something else. And yeah. So that by the time I get up from the breakfast table, I, I, I already now, even once I get into work, even once you know uh, the commute is finished and I get to my desk in Toronto, I still have to be able to you know schedule out the time throughout the day of like what I'm going to be working on. The boss gives me stuff to do. He doesn't tell me when to do it. He just says, you know, I need you to work on this, create a sizzle reel for that, edit this episode, have it on my desk tomorrow. And okay, now I uh, now I need to take that and figure out well how am I going to spread this out over my day so that all the work gets done. So just having that game plan in the morning changes everything. And because there are days when I miss doing that and my whole day is sabotaged and I don't know what system you use, but I'm sure you notice a a big difference when you haven't mapped out your day, when you aren't being very aware of how you should be spending your time. And you know, you you think, oh, I'm just going to wing it today. You know, I don't have much to do. I'm just going to, I'll do things as they come at me. And your day just doesn't end up being nearly as productive Uh, when you haven't gone through that process?
0: Well, it really is the difference between living in reactive mode or living in intentional mode, where – even if you map out your entire day, whether you're doing pen and paper, no judgment whatsoever. You know, Obviously, I love my, my Trello, but I want people to do whatever works. If it's pen and Post-it notes, whatever works and makes it happen. I do just a combination of Trello on my calendar. So I will look at my calendar and usually have different colored blocks so I understand what it is that I'm going to be doing throughout the day. But I very much notice the difference when there are days when I either have to sleep in because I didn't get enough sleep because I worked late or I'm recovering from doing heavy training, whatever it is. And there are days just like anybody else where I'm like, oh, I just don't feel like doing this. I'm not going to plan. I'm just going to figure it out. Like, just going to figure it out. I'll be fine. And then you just feel like the day starts to pile on you and you feel like you're reacting to everything rather than saying, all right, well, here's my plan. Even if I deviate from it because something comes up that I wasn't expecting, I was – kind of predicting that this thing might have happened and I kind of have a plan B. So for example, I'm working with somebody that was trying to build the habit of exercising more. And they had said, well, I really want to exercise after I leave work at five or six o'clock and I've set up this thing at the spin class and another thing at a yoga class and it's great, except now they changed my work schedule. Now I can't exercise anymore. I was like, well, no, you can still build the habit of exercise. You just need a plan B. You need to say, if my work schedule changes and they ask me to work later, I just need a backup plan. And part of planning your day, whether it's the night before or it's the morning of, I will ask myself and I will say, all right, what are some of the obstacles that could get in the way of me reaching my goals today? And it could be X, it could be Y, and it could be Z. Great. So how can I overcome those things if they happen? That way I spend my entire day still intentional, even if there are deviations. But on the days when I don't do it, I just kind of feel like a zombie. And I think that one of the things that is paradoxical about this whole process is that people that are highly, highly creative, where they just live for being in creative flow, doing creative work. They say, oh, my God, it sounds so exhausting to have to do all this planning. I just want to be free and do things when I feel like it. But the problem is that it's actually more exhausting to not plan. And this is coming from years of my own personal experience, that when you don't plan, that's when you get exhausted and you don't feel like doing the creative work and you can't snap your fingers and get into creative flow. But when I do plan my day, I have no problem turning on the computer, standing in front of it and just getting right in the zone for hours at a time. So I don't know if you've experienced that as well.
1: Yeah. And you know what? I'm just sitting here nodding my head. You can't see because the camera's turned off right now. But but uh, yeah, because especially when you when you mention the word obstacle like that, that, that for some reason just like bricks my head up because, uh, yeah, yeah, I do find that that happens but also uh, i want to mention because a, f- a lot of people seem to tune out or like turn off what yeah when they hear the whole idea of like oh i have to do extra work now to plan out my day or to plan out this or to plan out that like ah that sounds like such you know uh, it, it seems like a lot of uh, a lot of work a lot of hard work that i need to put into that uh, i'm not going to do that i'm just going to jazz it i'm just going to you know uh, i'll make it up on the fly but think about it this way. when you, If you come up with a plan, what you're really doing is you're reducing the number of choices that you have to make. So when you have, let's say, a meal plan prepped for the week and you've prepped all the food and it's all sitting in the fridge, now at no point during the day, you have to think about you know oh what am i going to have for dinner it's already sitting there you know ready for you to heat up and go eat when you have a plan of how your day is going to unfold when you know like from this hour to this hour throughout the day exactly how your day is going to unfold then there should be very little time in that day for you to ever think, hmm, so what should I do now? It's already done for you. So you don't even have to expel any further energy to think of like what, okay, what's going to come next? What should I be doing now? Which that taxes you immensely. So like as a creative person, I found that as soon as I started doing that and mapping out my day and reducing the number of choices that I had to make, even down to like what clothes I wear in the morning, you know, if you are, not you know, making as many of those choices, those choices, you know, do kind of tax the mental energy that you have for the day. So, if you reduce the mental the amount of choices that you have to make throughout the day by mapping your day out, by planning all your meals, by walking into the gym with a game plan of exactly what exercises you're going to hit, then you that's more energy that you can spend for everything else throughout the day.
0: Basically, you're putting yourself on autopilot. That's what I'll tell people is that all the decisions that I don't want to make. I've made an advance, I'm on autopilot, so I'm conserving energy as much as possible, and I'm not talking just physical energy. This is what we're really talking about is mental energy. So when I do finally get in front of the computer and I have eight hours worth of raw footage for a single day of shooting. And I have to cut all of that in a 12 hour day, which by the way, was my Monday. I have the energy and the capacity to focus and do that because I haven't wasted all of my energy thinking, what should I be doing this morning? What should I have for breakfast? What am I supposed to do for my exercise today? Am I supposed, should I be planning my day this morning? I don't know what I should be doing this afternoon. What am I doing on Friday? I haven't thought about any of that. All I have to do is go through these simple steps that I built as a habit show up at work, and then that's kind of when I quote-unquote wake up. I get in front of the computer system, and I'm like, bam, I'm turned on, and for hours at a time I can go because I've conserved that energy. And where I want to dovetail to next, which you uh, pulled out so eloquently, is this idea of obstacles. (laughs) Because you and I are a rare breed where not only do we we have some of the resilience to the obstacles that might come up during our day, but we pay really good money to have people – throw us in really awkward, somewhat dangerous situations to overcome these obstacles. And I wanna talk a little bit about uh, OCR, training for OCR, but more importantly, how that helps to build stress resiliency for all of the obstacles in life well beyond just trying to, you know, climb over a muddy hill or
1: pick up tires. Wow, you, you hit a lot of uh, tasty keywords there uh, because uh, like mental resiliency and, yeah, you know, I was just eating all that up. And I actually should have led with this at, uh, at the beginning because I know that a lot of people may start to tune out once they hear that, oh, who's this guy that uh, Zach's talking to? He doesn't have a family. Uh, he's a contractor, so his schedule is a little bit fl- Flexible and, you know, yeah, he goes to the gym when he feels like it. Okay, that's not for me. I'll say that uh, until I actually discovered OCR, I was never, ever, ever up for any physical activity whatsoever. And so this really changed, you know, finding OCR really changed my life for me. Sorry, it's cliche as hell, but also uh, like for my fitness, it changed uh, a lot for me, but it also is incredibly applicable to everything else that i go through day to day it was very applicable to my career it was very applicable to my social life and for that very reason it it teaches you a lot about how to approach literally an obstacle figure out how to get past it deal with the frustration of 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 learning of how to get past it and failing over and over and over again and being satisfied and happy when you do overcome something that you know you've been working to overcome for some time and then reveling in that celebration with other people who are going through that exact same thing all around you um so like that's I won't say that's the reason I got into it, but that's the main reason why I stayed into it. Like, is that uh, something similar that you, uh, that you get from Spartans? I've never actually asked you exactly why, why you uh, ever got into OCR in the first place or what keeps you around?
0: Well, the, the first time I actually got into it, I was shamed into it. So uh, (laughs) my, my sister who is uh, considerably older than me. You'd never know it because anytime that we go out, people think that we're either married or I'm uh, the older brother, which is really embarrassing because she's like 14 years older than me. So I'm like, oh my God, like I'm clearly doing something wrong and she's doing something right. But anyway she's really into athletic competition and she just ran, she's run several marathons. So she always embarrasses me when it comes to physical stuff. And this was, I think five or six years ago, right after I'd had my first son and I was doing no physical activity whatsoever. I was super stressed out, sleep deprived. And she had just discovered this new thing called the Tough Mudder. And she had just run one. And she, as you know, anybody that does OCR, like once they come back, they're just hooked. They're a totally different person. She would not shut up about it. And she kept saying, tough my own. We did this. And I climbed under barbed wire and I was getting electrical shock. It was amazing. And like, <laughs> are you flipping nuts? Like, what is this thing? Like, my mom was all concerned. I'm like, is she safe? And I was like, this is kind of weird. She's like, you totally have to do one. And I was like, oh, man. Now I'm going to have to do this because she's never going to be able to let it go if she made it through a 12-mile Tough Mudder and I didn't. Like, we just have that kind of a relationship. We're very close, but we're also very, very competitive with each other. Like, great. Now I'm going to have to do this stupid Tough Mudder. I'm going to have to get dirty. So I forced myself to get through all of P90X for the first time because I'd failed the first two or three times (laughs) before that because P90X is brutal. Um, And I didn't have, this was one of those cases where I actually did not have the hours in the day to go to the gym. So I just decided I'm going to do P90X at like 10 o'clock at night, which for anybody that wants to train, don't train right before you go to bed. Horrible idea. (laughs) I didn't know any of that six years ago. That's, I've learned all of this since then, but I did P90X and I did the Tough Mudder and it was the same transformative experience for me where you really get to know yourself a lot better and how you deal with stress and how you deal with obstacles and you get an understanding of your mental toughness. Because one thing that I've learned over the last several years and all of the research that I've done into high performance is that when your body feels like it's given up and you're like, I can't do another push-up or I can't run another mile, you've really only reached like 35 to 40% of your physical capacity. And it's all mental. It's your brain saying, I'm tired of discomfort. I'm tired of dealing with pain. Can you please stop now? But your capacity goes so far beyond what you think you can do and doing these types of events helps you understand what is my real capacity and how can I push through it? And then when you force yourself to push through something that's very, very uncomfortable and you get the second wave of energy, it's you just feel this sense of being alive that you haven't ever really felt before. And for me, it wasn't even so much about the day of, it was how I felt when I went back into work. And it was kind of like, huh, all that stuff that was really stressing me out that felt really hard, this really isn't affecting me that much anymore. Like somebody coming in and saying, hey, we need a visual effects turnover, blah, 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 diddy, blah, diddy, blah, by five o'clock. I'm like, all right, that's cool. I mean, at least you're not asking me to climb under a barbed wire, get sprayed in the face
1: of the fire hose and electrocute me. I mean, <laughs> visual <laughs> effects turnover doesn't sound bad. Yeah, this is starting to sound pretty damn good. And uh, yeah, and that's, uh, you hit the nail on the head there. It changes the way that you view stress. because, And I think that's, that's a really, really good reason why a lot of Desk jockeys, especially, are discovering the world of OCR for fun, and they are finding that this is really extremely fun because it changes how they view stressful situations, which they then take back into their you know their regular lives. Because yeah, when you go to, and I'm not saying that everybody has to go to OCR to discover this, but. You know, just changing the way that you the, the way that you see stress is really really big. I'm actually reading a really important book right now called The Upside of Stress, where it's all about changing your viewpoint of, of stress uh, instead of it being such a negative thing, a thing that you should avoid. Or I'm feeling stressed, I need to suppress this, I need to you know put it away. Uh, your body, how it's reacting to stressful situations, those are things that. You know, it's trying to help you. So as you're stepping up to a wall that you're about to climb over, as you view it, you may start to get a little bit fearful. You may, you know, your heart rate will go up, your palms will get a little sweaty. You know, uh, your brain's going to start firing. Up. Your brain isn't going to wander off and think about other things. It's going to focus on the task at hand. You know, so you know that's stress, but. That's good stress. That's, you know, that's the good stuff that's happening to you. So when you go back to your daily job now, you have this different way of approaching a stressful situation when something, yeah, comes, you know, barreling down on your desk and says, here's 10,000 tasks. I need you to have these done by end of day. Normally that might freak some people out, send them into a panic attack, but you can learn how to embrace that stress and use it, towards, you know, your goals for that day. So instead of, you know, this amount of fear that you're looking at on your desk, you can look at it and decide, okay, this is how I'm going to tackle this. And I'm, my brain's ready. Uh, my you know body's getting all fired up. I'm going to use this to get through this obstacle that's in front of me.
0: To learn more and purchase what I consider to be the topomat of desk chairs, please go to slash core360. That's slash QOR360. Yeah, and I think that that's a really, really good point. And one thing that you've probably learned about in, uh, in this book or either in other research is that stress isn't a bad thing we in this culture we hear the word stress and we immediately think oh this is bad for me stress is killing everybody it's the number one cause of things like you know cardiac arrest and cancer and i have to get away from all the stress but in and of itself stress is not a bad thing and we actually need it it's our reaction to stress and how much we allow it to control our lives, that's when all of the problems come in. And I'm the perfect example of this on both sides, where I am far from perfect at being resilient to stress. And I've been very, very open about my experiences with burnout and depression, all of which were the results of me not managing stress properly. But by the same token, As I've gone through this process, I've learned better how to manage stress the right way. And there's this process called, and maybe you've read about this as well, it's called hormesis. So there are things called hormetic stressors that are actually things that strengthen you. So exercise, doing squats, doing pull-ups, doing push-ups, whatever it is, That's a stress on your body. That's hard. The reason you're sore is because you're getting micro tears in your muscle fibers. That's why you feel like crap the next day when you have an exercise for a while. But guess what that does? It makes you stronger. It doesn't break you down permanently. It makes you stronger. It's a hormetic stressor. And if you can find the good things in the manageable amounts of stress and treat them as learning experiences and not have that stress consume you, then you become a stronger person. And in my belief, that's why obstacle course racing, things like Tough Motors and Spartan races are so beneficial to your health because they build your resilience to stress because you're learning how to fail in a relatively safe environment. And you're getting stronger and you learn that lesson and bring it into your regular life, and you become so much more resilient to all the BS that you deal with in a corporate environment. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, I think that's something that a lot of people have found that was missing from their lives recently, and so this is a fun way, a really fun and infectious way of getting that feeling back of all these people now going off and running in the mud and going back and telling their friends all about it and being so proud of it. When you first hear about it, it sounds nuts, but then you go do it and you get that awesome feeling and then you take it back to your daily life and you realize, hey, this is doing something really good for me. This is a this was a missing pie piece that uh, I just got back in my life and it's doing a lot better for me now you know at every other aspect of my life so i think that's not not the contributing reason but you know i think we're seeing a spike now of you know people are getting into more activity now. People are more into racing. People are just more into, you know, being fit in general, trying to be more active throughout the day because they're seeing the benefits like that. Well,
0: and for me, I mean, the, the benefits that I've talked about, ad nauseum extensively on this podcast and the, the website and everything else are just the creative benefits and the mental health benefits of moving around more during your day. And I found that when I don't have a race that I'm signed up for, I lag in my training or my need to move around. So I now just kind of hop From one registration to the next. As soon as I finish a race, I'm like, all right, (laughs) I have to register for something in three to four months, or I know that I'm not going to train because I have a very limited amount of time to do it. So I now just try to register for, you know, two, three, four, five events a year, but I don't go into it the way that I used to, which is that I've got to kill myself training and be super strong and compete. Like for me, it's just, I just don't want to go and massively fail. I want to be able to finish and I want to enjoy myself. So that kind of changes the way that I train a little bit. But that's what I want to get into now is with the the time that we have left, kind of digging into the nitty gritty a little bit. And I want to make sure that I have the caveat for those that may not already know, this is two film editors talking about training for a Spartan race. So don't think that <laughs> like I'm talking with a Ben Greenfield about the nitty gritty of all the science and, you know, all the the biohacking around this, like this is Two film editors talking about how we train for Spartan races, but I think that's helpful for the weekend warriors that are like, I just want to make sure that I don't kill myself. So now that you have very limited amount of time to train and you have to be very focused and intentional, what are you actually doing to train for Spartan races?
1: Well, what I'm doing right now, well, and what I had to do right away when the uh, when the schedule was upturned uh, for me was trying to find the best parts of the day that I had remaining for the, the things that I needed to do, like go to the gym, rest, doing some you know mobility and stretching, and when to do a weekly meal prep. So looking at okay, this is the amount of time that I have left, uh, and also looking at what that time is. You know, do I have morning time? Do I have evening time? Because as you said, you don't want to be going and hitting the gym an hour before you're supposed to be going to bed Uh, that's going to sabotage your rest and that'll sabotage you for the next day and then you're all kinds of screwed so for a while, actually, I was trying to do that. I was trying to get home and like, okay, I'll, I'll eat dinner on the train, and I'll go and hit the gym, and then I'll come home, and then I'll rest, and that just wasn't working. So I had to switch that up and become a morning person, not something I was a fan of, but getting up a little bit earlier, going to bed a little bit earlier so that I could wake up at 5, 5.30, go hit the gym uh, so that I could be on the train, go go into work, feeling awesome about the day. By the way, because you know once you've gotten that out of out of the way, your body's all primed and ready. Now I'm you know now I'm ready for the work day. fantastic. And uh, then by the time I get home, I've got time to eat a proper dinner, to rest, to wind down from the end of the day, uh, get myself ready for bed, so I can take advantage of a full resting period, allotting one day each week to not do much of anything at all to unwind unplugged so to speak and also that's uh, my sunday uh, nights are when i fit in uh weekly meal prep so as you know if i don't get that done then uh i you know i'm a, a little bit buggered for the rest of the week but uh, so that's why sunday sunday evenings uh, i lot 2 hours that's all it takes you know to uh, cook all the food that i need for the rest of the week then i'm set um i've got breakfast lunch dinner I, you know all those decisions are made for me but uh yeah becoming a morning workout person that was that was the the tough shift for me and you know, to be honest, I'm still kind of getting used to that because I was never much of a morning workout person.
0: Yeah, trust me, you're you're preaching to the choir right now. Um, I was never a morning person until recently. And it took me about six months to a year to really make that just long term circadian rhythm shift. But now I absolutely love it. And I feel so much better. If I wake up early in the morning, plan out my day and I do exercise, I'm a completely different person. The way that I get through the day as opposed to when I don't do it. But it was tough because I was a night owl for years and years, pretty much for my whole life. But then it became a necessity because I have family and there's, It was really the only way to do it properly. Um, But what I'm curious about now is what specifically, what type of training are you're doing, given that you have a limited amount of time and you can't devote hours and hours a day to OCR training? Are you doing like mostly high intensity? Are you doing weightlifting, cardio, like kind of break down in fairly simplistic terms, the type of training you're doing with your limited time?
1: Well, in a nutshell, learned all about periodization. So to answer your question, you you know, what am I doing? Am I doing high intensity, low intensity, this, that? my I'll answer would be yes. Uh, I, I, I am doing all of that, but at different points in my schedule. So for a couple of weeks, I'll settle into like a running routine of, I'll do two short morning runs, which would be like about 5k casual pace, you know, uh, enough to run, but be a little bit winded can still kind of sort of carry on conversation if, uh, if I can, and then do one hard run At some point uh, on the weekend for a longer distance where I'm really pushing myself. And then after you do that for a couple of weeks, before your body can really settle into that, uh, I switch, uh, you know, I'll switch things up and I'll start doing, instead of like a casual run in the morning, I'll do hill sprints where there's a hill right by my house. So I'll throw on, you know, a weighted rucksack, I'll throw 25 pounds on my back and I'll go and hit the hill and I'll sprint up, walk down, sprint up, repeat that over and over again. uh, And I'll I'll do that for a couple of weeks and then I'll do you know a week of very little. I'll do like some walking. I'll do, you know keep it very very low impact, uh, and then I'll just keep switching things up. Uh, same things. Uh, same thing goes for when you're going to the gym. A lot of people go to the gym. They do the same exercises over and over and over again. What you'll find for what is most effective, though, as and a lot of OCR racers will agree, is that you have to get your body used to a whole bunch of different things. You know, adapting to very different things. Uh, you never know what new obstacle they're going to come up with or going to throw on the course at you. So you have to be ready for. You know not just one type of exercise, you have to be ready for many types of exercises. So for a couple of weeks, if you go to the gym, if you are used to settling into you know the same routine, I'll go do you know I'll lift heavy weights but lower reps for about two weeks. Uh, so for, you know, I'll do three sets of six of 85% of my one rep max. So I'll squat really heavy. I'll bench press really heavy. I'll really push myself, you know, a little bit of resting time in between each set. And then after those two weeks are up, I'll switch it up. I'll go to, you know, higher reps, but uh, lower weight for a little bit. And that's a way that, you know, getting your body used to changing things on the fly. Because if you do the same exercise every single day, your body will learn to kind of get used to that it will stop growing that will you know you'll cause a plateau because your body now knows you know what to expect so by going through periodization by switching up your training every couple of weeks that's what i've learned how to do so i'll map out a 12 week plan for myself where i you know like for these two weeks i'll focus on you know heavier weights uh, longer runs these two weeks i'll do this And then I'll leave things open to, well, I may hear a suggestion from somebody else down the line, like, oh, you know what really works for me? Rock climbing. Okay, so for two weeks, I'm going rock climbing. And, you know, skipping the gym, that's exactly what I'm going to do. And... You know, just changing the activity up every once in a while. So I leave it open to, you know, different exercises, different ideas that, uh, that, you know, I may stumble across or people may suggest to me. Yeah.
0: The, I mean, the key is functional fitness and that's, uh, I think a piece that a lot of people miss that are more into the conventional, I'm going to go to the gym and train. Like you're not going to be running at a Spartan race and all of a sudden they're going to say, okay, bench press max go. Like <laughs> it, they're, they're not looking at how strong are you in one specific muscle group at doing something you've done hundreds of rounds. Of you need functional fitness for every single muscle in your body. Where they may say, Okay, now do spider crawls under barbed wire, or you need to carry this 80 pound sandbag up and down a hill, or this bucket of rocks and gravel. Like it's functional fitness that's going to be using all the different muscle groups. And if you're just trying to work out the beach muscles and you're doing, you know, curls and tricep extensions, like you might look good, but you're not going to have the correct muscle tissue and balance of musculature to be able to do these functional fitness type exercises. So you really do just have to vary it up. And I try to get out at least once a week because for the most part, my training isn't nearly as regimented as yours because I have more limited time. So I really try to get the most bang for my buck and I do super, super super high intensity interval training, hit training for two or three mornings a week for only like 25 or 30 minutes. But it is like crazy intense where in 25 minutes, I'll burn like 500 calories. So it's nonstop, no breaks. And then for once a week, I'll go out and I'll actually go hike in the mountains. And I love that you said the weighted vest because that's what I do, is I just strap on a 40 pound weighted vest and I just go up and down the hills and put myself in the practical environment that's the same as the Spartan Race. But that's pretty much all that I'm able to do. I haven't been on a weight bench or a squat machine or anything like that for probably, I don't know, nine or ten years. And I certainly don't have the types of competitive times at these OCR races that you do. But I finish, and that's my goal, so I don't feel you know terribly embarrassed by the results. Um, but it's funny that you brought up rock climbing because that was one where I learned from doing these races over and over, you find your weak spots. And you find your weak spots from the mental stress resiliency perspective, like we already talked about, but I was finding my weak spots physically. And I realized that from basically 20 years of sitting in front of a computer, well, I don't really sit in front of a computer anymore, but living in front of a computer all day long on a mouse and a keyboard and a Wacom tablet, my wrists and my forearms had become incredibly weak. So whenever I did the ropes or I did the rings, I was just a disaster. Like those for me are just burpees. I'm just like, all right, I'm doing 60 burpees. I know that it's (laughs) going to happen. And I said, well, maybe I can do something about that. So I started taking up rock climbing, and I haven't done a race yet since I've done it. But just the difference in my ability to do a pull-up or a chin-up or be able to climb has changed significantly. And what I like about that is, again, it's a lesson you can take to other parts of your life where it's not just about, well, I'm in shape or I'm not in shape. It's more, well, I'm in shape, but there are areas, really you know, specific areas that I want to get better at. And for me right now, it's grip, strength, and forearms. But for other people, you can find other areas of your life, whether it is physical or whether it is mental. That's really what this type of training, these type of races allow you to do is find places in your life where you can improve, which is really kind of the whole theme of this interview.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Being able to measure out your performance, whatever that may be, and identify, well, where are the, where are the flaws? Where am I lacking? Where do I need to focus? So that, you know, next time when you go to prepare, when you go you know, hit the gym or when you're walking into your next job, you know exactly what you should be focusing on, what were you weak in last time and what you can work towards uh, so that you can be stronger in the future.
0: Well, I seriously feel like we just got
1: started. Like,
0: I'm like oh, great. Now <laughs> the, the conversation has begun and we can really dig in. And I'm like, oh, crap, it's been an hour. Uh, <laughs> so I have a feeling that we may have to record a part two in the future. Um, but before we go, I want to make sure that people are aware that not only are you a guest on this podcast, but you, sir, are also a podcaster and have a fantastic show that I really want people to go check out. So, tell me a little bit about your podcast.
1: Ah, well, uh, you know, my my little podcast is uh, it's called the Command Edit Podcast, and uh, actually. Uh, it uh, kind of got started because myself and my co-host Josh uh, encountered each other on the Twitterverse and there were a lot of topics that he and I would get into that we discovered that were uh, really interesting topics for other people, other editors particularly, to uh, to get into. So it's geared towards people who work in the post-production or uh, film industry in general. And so we do sometimes get into talking about uh, the nitty-gritty of post-production specific applications and you know editing techniques. Uh, but I try to slip in a few episodes in there about the other things that you don't hear about from a lot of post-production podcasts like you know, keeping healthy, keeping fit, uh, you know, while, while at work, uh, improving your networking skills, uh, all that fun stuff as well. Uh, so it's called the Command Edit Podcast. I think we're about uh, 70 or 80 episodes in at this point. We uh, it's you know we try to re- record weekly and we try to uh, come up with content that's helpful for people who are sitting at a desk. Uh,
0: and what's the URL if people are listening and they want to just remember it? I'll put it in the show notes too, but uh, just verbally, I want to make sure they hear it as well.
1: CommandEditPodcast.com. Oh, well, that's pretty simple.
0: There you go. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Well, that having been said, uh, this has been an absolute pleasure. I'm glad we're finally able to make this happen. This has been on my wish list for like a year. And the next time that you are in the Southern California area for a race, you definitely have to let me know. Um, I'm a little actually hesitant to run with you because you'd be like really surprised at how out of shape I am at doing these things. And I'd be really embarrassed. You'd be like, oh, my God, he sucks at this stuff. Um, but I, it would be, it would be a lot of fun to, to race together and watch you embarrass me on the course. So,
1: you know what I, I have been, and still am very much looking forward to the day where, uh, yeah, I run into you on the course and, uh, would gladly, gladly, uh, run a race with you, sir.
0: Awesome. Well, I appreciate it. Well, this has been awesome. And, uh, I appreciate your time being on here today, sharing your story. Thank you very much. Thank you so much for investing both your time and energy listening to today's show.